S-W-I-T-C-H. Restrictions apply. Visit Charter.com for details. It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents the Mark Johnson Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. A little rain out there today. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Forecaster Roger Hill promising us some much better weather as the week proceeds. Coming up on the program today... We're going to be uh, featuring an interview that the uh, intern that's been working on the Mark Johnson Show, Ben Parsons, had with uh, Major Jackson, who's a professor at the University of Vermont and a uh, well-awarded poet. We'll um, feature that interview coming up uh, relatively shortly here. And we'll take your phone calls throughout the program as well today. I'd love to hear from you at the usual phone numbers. You can call us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. Toll-free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. Among the uh, items I want to get to this morning, um, actually, uh, on the canine front, uh, an interesting story about a dog that might have been infected with Ebola and a lot of controversy about what to do with uh, Fido. Also, uh, Tom Friedman today, a really hard-hitting piece talking about just Basically, dysfunction in Washington, D.C. I know we already know that's the story, but uh, Tom today quite eloquently kind of really nails it. Also, a uh, column in the Washington Post today really going after President Obama for basically having zero compassion. So I'll share some of those uh, comments with you. Speaking of compassion, an interesting guy has been traveling here in Vermont who uh, speaks on the issue of compassion, who will be joining us coming up on the program on Monday. Uh, a couple of previews of coming attractions as well. Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk with uh, Governor Shumlin. Some poll results out. I want to just give you some uh, numbers on here. CX had a poll that came out this week. So we'll chat with him tomorrow. Also coming up tomorrow, we're going to uh, talk with a very interesting uh, woman who's an engineer down at Norwich who is um, studying uh, stormwater solutions. Got a, uh, some, a grant for that. So we're going to chat with her coming up tomorrow. Uh, Friday on the program, we're going to um, uh, preview a, uh, a conference that's going up in the Burlington area, annual conference on breast cancer. It's a really important event. There is a lot of new information that comes out of this conference each and every year. We're going to talk with the founder of it, Dr. Patty O'Brien, who is a breast cancer survivor and uh, has been, as I mentioned, the organizer of this event really puts a lot of effort into this and is really just one of those remarkable people in our midst here in Vermont. So that'll be coming your way on, uh, on Friday. 244-1777, that's our local number in central Vermont. Toll free, you can reach us at 877-291-8255. All right, I know some of you get uh, anxious when I talk about polls and feel that polls are not um, something we should talk about because they influence public opinion. That being said, I, I thought there were some interesting numbers that came out this week on the WCAX poll dealing with the governor's race and also the lieutenant governor's race. In fact, I would, let me start with the lieutenant governor's race. I, I was surprised. This is supposed to be the really competitive race out there. And it is really by all indications from this Castleton poll that was done for CAX, not really the case here. You got Phil Scott uh, leading 58 to 24 against the uh, uh, fusion candidate, Dean Corrin, 15% undecided. 
Uh, I'm surprised Dean Corrin's numbers are really that low. And I uh, wonder about this strategy here. He's basically foregone um, television advertising. And as you know, shallow as political ads can be, no question about it. I mean, really, what sort of substance can you get into in a 30-second ad? If you're unknown, they do provide an important tool, which is that they get your name out there. They get your mug out there. And, uh, you know, you can have all the bus signs you want out there. With all due respect to our industry, you know, you can have a lot of radio ads. But the power of television in politics is really just unmatched, uh, you know, and particularly, as I say, if you're an unknown. If you're a, you know, if you're a, a well-known candidate, a guy like Phil Scott can run that kind of a campaign, do the bus sign, do the, the radio ads, and not do the TV. He's actually got some TV ads up. One of them is, is really well-produced, I might add. So I think, um, and, and you know, Dean Corrin had this $200,000 at his disposal and had to make some choices here about how and where to spend that money. But I, I am wondering about this strategy because he's been... Virtually, um, in, the, in the media world, and news cycle here, uh, kind of off the chart here, not really out there. This very much the same way I would make the same criticism about the Republican gubernatorial candidate. So, you know, I think uh, I think that decision may come back to haunt Dean Corrin. Certainly not guaranteed to win if he had gone that route. But this really, this race should be a lot tighter. You know, Dean Corrin is a guy who's um, got a track record as a lawmaker. He's not some total unknown here. He's from Chittenden County. He's pretty well known in Chittenden County. So uh, I'm surprised. And and there's no, you know, he's he's on his own here. There's no splitting the left vote or any of that uh, that, that can be going on. So I'm kind of curious about that. In the governor's race, uh, wow, um, some interesting numbers on that. So here's what they found, 47%. For Shumlin, Scott Milne is at 35%, and Dan Feliciano is at 6 One of the things that I thought was interesting in these results, 8% undecided. That's pretty low. I mean, people have pretty much decided out there who have been polled. This is not some people are waiting for more to come out here. I mean, 8%, that's um, you know, it's usually more like in that 10 to 15 that was in that previous race that we were talking about there. So people clearly uh, have made up their mind. Steve Terry made a comment on the news last night talking about these results that I've made, too, which is that this race seems to me really comes down to Peter Shumlin and the guy in the mirror. And the, uh, his job performance numbers were uh, fascinating. And within this poll, 45% have a uh, approval, uh, say they approve of Shumlin's job performance 41% disapprove. Wow. Uh, those are not, assuming Peter Shumlin wins, those are not numbers that you want heading into this big legislative session where you're about to roll out a proposal that's going to have about $2 billion in premiums get turned into some sort of tax. Woof. Seems to me you want to be plowing into that um, that snowbank here with a lot more momentum than 45%. What do you make of that? 
244-1777 is our local number. You can also reach us toll-free at 877-291-8255. So curious to know what you think about some of those numbers. Curious to know what, um, I'll share with you some of what Tom Friedman has to say. And as I mentioned, we'll also uh, be sharing with you an interview with uh, Professor Major Jackson. A couple of other items that we will get to before we conclude this morning. Out in Berkeley and in San Francisco, an effort to try to tax soda. I'll tell you how well that effort's going. And a um, number of other items that we're going to get to as well this morning. Love to hear from you. 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. Toll-free 877-291-8255. We'll be back right after this. RB Technologies on Route 14 East Montpelier has been creating and supporting thoughtfully designed, custom-crafted computer networks for their clients since 1997. Here's Peter Timponi from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. Ruben and all of his crew have been working with us over the last two and a half years. We recently had some electrical damage in the building, which took down the entire network, and they were in helping us the next day. It was a real, real pleasure working with them. It helped us out a ton. Here at Vermont College, we're a small operation. Our IT department, we have two people, so it's often hard sometimes to find the right bit of knowledge that we might need. So I have actually called Ruben before and spoke with them about you know things that I'm trying to do, things that I'm trying to accomplish, and they've been very helpful in, in guiding us along the way. Friendly, courteous, knowledgeable are the first three words that come to my head when I think about Ruben and everyone there, and they're a great, great crew. RB Technologies cares about their customers. Call them at 223-4448 or online at rbtechvt.com. RB Technologies, efficiency through technology. Hi, Todd Stone from G-Stone Motors. And I'm Travis. Hey, you know what I was thinking, Todd? Oh boy, what now? Well, look at this amazing lineup of Ford vehicles. Styling, fuel economy, power, they have it all. Yeah, but GMC does too. They have great new styling, and the new Sierra is really classy. Oh, really? Ford's been the number one selling truck for over 40 years. Top that. The all-new GMC Sierra was just voted number one best buy. But I don't know why we're arguing about this. Good question. We have both GMC and Ford here on our lot, and that's a huge time saver for our customers. Customers can come and look at our huge inventory of new Fords, GMCs, and great lineup of pre-owned used vehicles. Whether it's fuel economy, durability, or luxury that you're looking for, we have what you need. And remember, we take anything in trade. View our full inventory online at gstonemotors.com, and don't forget to like us on Facebook. Also, don't forget our sister store, G-Stone Commercial, for all of your truck, trailer, and equipment needs. Service, parts, sales, and rentals, they do it all. G-Stone Motors, your hometown Ford and GMC dealer where they take anything in trade. Route 7 and Middlebury are online at gstonemotors.com. The boss is away and the staff will play. Jason is on a well-earned vacation and Dolaire's is cleaning house. Right now, get 50% off Dolaire's regular low prices on over a half a million dollars of beautiful in-stock flooring. Carpet, vinyl, hardwood, laminate tile, area rugs, you name it, it's all going at 50% off. Some examples, 32-ounce Berber with 15-year wear guarantee and eight colors starting at 75 cents a square foot. Get 42-ounce plus lifetime stain guarantee with eight colors to choose from at $1.25 a square foot. Save 50% on all area rugs and see over 300 beautiful remnants at 50% off. Pick from six colors of ceramic tile at 79 cents a square foot. Over 30 rolls of kitchen and bath vinyl from only 75 cents a square foot. 20-year laminate in four wood colors at $1.09 a square foot. Right now, get 20-ounce commercial grade in 12 and 15-foot widths. 16 colors, only 58 cents a square foot. LCL plush with lifetime stain. Six colors, 89 cents a square foot. The boss is away and you save huge at Delaire's. Route 2, East Montpelier and Mountain View Plaza, Morrisville. Going green is natural. 
general in the Green Mountain State, especially at Office Systems of Vermont. They specialize in selling, leasing, and servicing an extensive line of copiers and multifunction products, laser printers, and supplies. That's why they're so excited about the arrival of the Toshiba Eco MFP. It's a revolutionary design in Toshiba's award-winning lineup. It's the world's first MFP to incorporate a unique erasable toner that will enable you to erase and reuse your paper multiple times. By reducing paper consumption, you help reduce solid waste streams and air and water pollutants. What does that mean to you? That means your company will experience the three E's, ecology, economy, and efficiency. Call 479-3311 or log on to osvcopiers.com for a demonstration of the new Toshiba Eco MFP. Office Systems of Vermont, located in central Vermont for over 50 years or at osvcopiers.com. Print, erase, reuse with service you can depend on. Office Systems of Vermont. 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free, 877-291-8255. Thanks. I got some nice positive feedback yesterday. Our interview with Andrew Solomon, a pretty... Uh, Pretty profound guy talking about uh, depression, talking about uh, identity, talking about friendship. If you missed that one, that one is one that you want to catch. Uh, and let me uh, share, and thanks for all the uh, nice suggestions, too, on how you get a pill into a dog. Boy, what an education I got on that uh, yesterday and the day before, and I appreciate it very much. Speaking of the canine beat here, let me tell you what the latest is going on in Spain. What a controversy going on over there uh, involving Excalibur, who looks like a really nice, friendly uh, uh, pup here. So let me give you the, uh, the deal here on this. So they say in Madrid, among the lives that are on the line in the spread of Ebola is that of Excalibur, a stricken Spanish medical worker's 12-year-old dog. Oof, boy. Madrid's regional government on Tuesday said it would euthanize the light brown rescue dog to avoid possible contagion. Javier Lamone, husband of the infected nurse's aide, issued a public appeal to save the family pet. Animal lovers responded with a flurry of afternoon tweets and an online petition urging the regional government to quarantine and test the animal for Ebola before resorting to euthanasia. By dinner time, the petition had drawn more than 86,000 signatures, and the Twitter hashtag, hashtag um, uh, Salve Mosa Excalibur, S-A-L-V-E Mosa Excalibur, had become one of the world's top trending ones. About 20 people belonging to animal rights groups sped to Mr. Lamone's home to block his doorway from any government intrusion. The dog is fine. He has the whole house to himself with an open terrace so he can do his business, Mr. Lamone said. Apparently, he doesn't have dog doesn't do it on the kitchen floor. Mr. Lamone said in an interview with the Spanish daily El Mundo, before checking himself into a hospital... He said he left Excalibur alone with plenty of water and 33 pounds of food. <sighs> okay. Uh, the dog, he insisted, presented little risk to public health other than, you know, probably eating all 33 pounds of food at once. Wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of poundage there. All right. They say uh, human Ebola infections to date haven't been linked to dogs. 
according to the International SOS, a medical and travel security services company. Hmm, very interesting. All right, so uh, we'll keep you apprised. I'll keep you up to date on what happens with Excalibur. Hmm. All right. Uh, at this point, I want to share with you, um, had a, a great opportunity this year to uh, bring along Ben Parsons, who's from North Ferrisburg, Vermont, who's a junior studying English and anthropology up at the University of Vermont. Bright young man. Uh, the future. Thank goodness. So he, um, uh, among the people that I encouraged him, I encouraged him to find some people that he wanted to interview that he thinks would be interesting, you know, kind of putting the ball a little bit in his lap. So he uh, asked me if um, it would be cool for him to interview Major Jackson at the University of Vermont, who somehow I've never had on this program. I'm not sure how that hasn't happened, but, you know, I miss a few people out there. So uh, he went ahead, and I think he did an excellent job. You're going to be able to judge for yourself. You'll be able to hear it. And let me give you a little bit of the background on uh, Major Jackson, uh, which, of course, I had Ben uh, do the bio here. So let me show you what he came up with. Uh, Major Jackson is a poet, University of Vermont professor based in Burlington. He is the author of three collections of poetry, Leaving Saturn, Hoops, and Holding Company. He's been awarded a Pew Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and a Cave Canaan Poetry Prize. Currently the chair of the Vermont Humanities Council. He's also the editor uh, as editor of the Harvard Review. And he and uh, Ben sat down. They talked about uh, his writing process, his experience as a Vermonter, his experience as a, an African-American living here in Vermont. And they began the interview. They talked about... Uh, when uh, Major Jackson growing up in Philadelphia. I have uh, talked about in the past in interviews, and of late I am thinking that it was even more significant as a site of inspiration and a melding of history that I'm realizing I place a lot of a lot of stock in in history so although my poems do not address historical moments I am constantly looking at the past as a as as a source of inspiration particularly personal moments uh, in my life yeah what about your parents uh, what about them? Tell me about them. What were they like? What was uh, your What was your house like? Well, let's see. I was raised by my, chiefly by my grandparents. Okay. My mom had me at a very young age. She wasn't even in her second decade on Earth. She was under twenty years old when she had me. So only recently did I realize, having raised three children on my own, um, how demanding being a parent is. And I believe even, even in your 20s or 30s, you're not fully equipped with um, the kind of mental demands that being a parent um, requires. So my grandparents were there, and they, having been born in the early part of the 20th century, passed on to me um, an, an 
a consciousness about being African American, um, uh, what it means to kind of live in the world safely, but also proudly. Uh, and also, interesting enough, because they're closer to the 19th century, there's a kind of formalism that my work has always been interested in. And recently I'm realizing that their aesthetic, uh, which was one based on order and symmetry and a high sense of morals, uh, all of that, I realize, was their their influence and you know if you know the history of this country where there is chaos this is in anyone's life they gravitate towards order and so my poems in a very real sense are about trying to untangle the chaos of living or at least the what appears to be the impenetrable sense of what does it all mean and try to make meaning out of it, give it a sense of understanding, try to glean some sort of understanding. My mom and my dad uh, were hardworking people. That's the best way to put it. Uh, my father uh, worked as a counselor and my mom worked for the telephone company. And although they were not together, I benefited from their attention as well as that of my grandparents. So there was not, I never felt a sense of abandonment by neither one of them. They both were young. And uh, they did not make, you know, smart, a smart decision, <laughs> but so many people don't at that age, you know, uh, and you just, you know, you forgive your parents, you understand their journey, and you hopefully move forward in your own uh, wiser and uh, empathetic. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot. <laughs> no, that's good. That was a lot. Uh, what else? Um, so... Philly and your grandparents, you notice their influence on your work now? Are there other figures from your early life that you can point to as um, sources? Yeah, of tons. Father Dave Hagen at St. Elizabeth Elementary School, who was the first person I heard utter the word humanitarian back in sixth grade. Uh, his was the generation that was reared in the shadow of the Cold War and believed and worked very hard as, um, as a kind of Catholic uh, who believed in, in righteousness. Uh, they worked for peace and they worked for justice and that was hugely influential. co-workers and friends and colleagues at the Painted Bright Arts Center in Philadelphia who imbued in me the idea that one can live one's life with grace and as a writer, even if that meant 
um, not having the biggest turkey on the table from year to year. To year, to year. Uh, there was a, a sense of devotedness that one um, approached their art and a commitment to their art. And that was instructive on, on many levels. I'm so appreciative to have come across people like Aaron Yates Perry and Lamont Steptoe and the founder of the Painted Bright Arts Center, a guy named Jerry Givnish. And I would also have to name among those individuals uh, my teacher as an undergrad, Sonia Sanchez, a poet of both the black arts movement and the women's liberation movement here in the U.S. You kind of hear a theme, I think, <laughs> that these are people who kind of stood on the right side of history and argued in their work, both on, on their canvases and their poems uh, for a better world and uh, and in the classroom. So I bring all of that um, to bear when I'm writing and teaching and, and editing. Those are the lenses by which I understand the world around me. And what about what? What else about your undergraduate education? Did you major in writing? Were you? I did not. I was a business student. Um, majoring in accounting and I guess at some point that was always the divided self that was the divided major one who clearly lived a life of contemplation and a one who uh, also felt coming out of the neighborhoods that I come out of that this was a an opportunity to um, to make something of myself, which, you know, so I guess I, I just felt like, all right, I need to go to school to f have some sort of skill to find a job when I graduate. I think, unfortunately, it is one of the, um, one of the myths that we continue to perpetuate in American education, and it's only getting worse and worse. There's other values to be had, other skills, other um, ways of, of being other than uh, getting a job. <laughs> when you turn 22 and you graduate from college, uh, people have to find their way, of course, but to think that uh, this is the only way is somewhat problematic for me. But, you know, undergrad was good. I, I served as a student leader um, as president of the NAACP uh, student chapter at Temple University, as well as uh, involved in, at that time, struggles against, uh, to, to kind of help bring down and bring a, serve as a voice against uh, apartheid. We're talking um, in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, that, that was, yeah, I believe students, and not necessarily college students, even high school students, um, and along the way they should be politicized about some issue in the world. Uh, only because that makes us a stronger democracy if we 
kind of emerge with opinions mm -hmm. and uh, learn the learn what that means, which is to become informed about uh, issues that uh, matter to the world. Unfortunately, given you know human development, normally during those years between high school and graduating from college and unfortunately some people even after college it's just one of great absorption because we're so self-conscious um, how do we look or, you know does these jeans fit nice on you know uh, will I attract her attention or his attention um, there's such a sense of awkwardness of kind of coming into being and coming into oneself and unfortunately around that same time that's when we need also to be looking outward and you know for me I had writing to do that I had writing to kind of help me um, articulate and figure out and discover what I truly felt on the inside and, 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 uh, and to discover myself so when did you really start writing in earnest was it after school, the I started in uh, high school, and then I took some literature classes with Sonia Sanchez. And around that time, a number of friends and I were very much interested in becoming um, hip hop artists, um, rappers, and language. I realized if you say writing in earnest, I would mm -hmm. say uh, language seems to have been important to me as an expressive vehicle. Some people express themselves through art, maybe on a basketball court or a hockey rink or uh, on a soccer field, piano. For me, language and writing was all seemed to have been always there. But it, each year it became even more and more part of my identity. So that by the by the time of my junior year, maybe even sophomore year, I took courses with um, uh, two poets who were graduate students and one a PhD student, and then I took an advanced poetry class with Sonia Sanchez. And by that time, I was writing regularly. Like it wasn't it wasn't a hobby. It wasn't it was it was something that I was doing in between classes. Uh, reading and performing with friends uh, at uh, events on campus uh, and just when I graduated I was still writing and I worked as an as a um, through a series of events finance director of the Painted Bright Arts Center and before work and after work I would write and it was uh, a thing by which to, an activity by which I could book in my days creatively. Um, I mean, I can be creative with accounting, but that probably is not a good idea, <laughs> according to the audience. You're, you're listening to an interview with um, Professor Major Jackson at the University of Vermont, which was uh, done by Ben Parsons, who's been working with me here on the program. We'll get back to uh, their discussion in just a moment. First, let me remind you about our good friends at Green Mountain Access. If you're looking for an outstanding local Internet service provider, make it our friends at gmavt.net. Keep your money local. 
They're a great company to do business with. If you ever have any tech support questions, really great tech support team. They will not um, belittle you for any sort of ridiculous questions you might ask. They, uh, in fact, will answer questions that they'll help you on anything they can. So you can give them a call today to sign up for their services at one triple eight three two one zero eight one five one triple eight three two one zero eight one five and on the web at gmavt.net. Coming up on the uh, program tomorrow, Governor Shumlin joins us at 9.05. We'll also talk with a Norwich professor that's doing research on stormwater. And uh, coming up Friday on the program, we'll tell you about the uh, breast cancer conference that's going on up in Chittenden County, up in Burlington. Starting, uh, it's actually starting uh, late Thursday and then running through the weekend. So we'll tell you all about that. 244-1777 is our local number. You can also reach us toll free at 877-291-8255. Back after this. Red cedar clapboards are hard to get. Not at Cleveland Cedar Products. Henry knows cedar and can get you a few boards to a truckload of red cedar for your next project. They carry red and white cedar shingles. They carry pine, shiplap, and tongue and groove. Virtually anything to cover your house inside and out. They deliver in northern Vermont and ask about their in-house custom staining to make sure the first coat is done right. Cleveland Cedar Products. Cedarguide.com. John Biondolillo on the new William Ravis BCK Real Estate Partnership. We've always been a family business from day one. I mean, even when the kids were little, they set up a lemonade stand in front of the business to raise money for charity. So the idea of partnering with Ravis, which is very much a family-oriented company, was a natural for us. From day one, our goal has been to build the best real estate firm in northern New England. And our partnership with William Ravis allows us to do that. They've been named the most innovative brokerage by Inman News with nearly 100% customer satisfaction. The William Ravis website is known as one of the best in the real estate industry with over a billion hits annually. With William Ravis, we have the resources of one of the top mortgage companies in the country. We can underwrite and fund our loans in-house, which eliminates a lot of surprises. Bottom line is that Marsh and I still own 100% of the business. As the new William Ravis BCK Real Estate, we just have so many more strengths and resources to offer our agents and our clients. For more on the new William Ravis BCK Real Estate, visit ravisbck.com. Do you have an amazing recipe that you want to sell? A food business dream? Are you a small food business that needs room to grow? The Vermont Food Venture Center is just what you're looking for. Our facility has processing equipment, dry and cold storage, and business advising for specialty food makers, farmers, and more. Our kitchens get food businesses cooking. Check us out online at www.hardwickagriculture.org. Computers? The small dog speaks. Right here, tomorrow, 105. All right, we're back. We've been featuring this morning an interview that uh, intern Ben Parsons, who's been working with me here on the program, did with Professor Major Jackson of the University of Vermont, who is a poet, uh, the author of three collections of poetry, Leaving Saturn, Hoops, and Holding Company. He's been awarded a Pew Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and a uh, Cave Canaan Poetry Prize. Gosh, you know, I feel a little inadequate this morning. I haven't gotten any fellowships. I'll work on it. Uh, He's currently the chair of the Vermont Humanities Council and also acts as the editor of the Harvard Review. 
He uh, and Ben uh, spoke recently about the writing process, uh, growing up or uh, living here in Vermont, and uh, some of his experiences at the University of Vermont. We pick up the discussion. He and uh, Ben are talking about the uh, the creative writing process. But uh, it was a way of living and being that felt enormously satisfying, still is satisfying. Uh, although other aspects of being a writer call my attention, judging contests, uh, editing uh, for a couple of journals, uh, most prominently the Harvard Review, uh, being a parent, being a husband, uh, being a friend, being a mentor, um, all of that pulls me away. But when I sit down and write, all those other activities lack in import. Even being a, a parent, I, that's probably not the popular thing to say, but they'll grow up. <laughs> <laughs> the children grow up. The writing the way of observing uh, attempting to craft the artful utterance the authentic utterance that will is just a part of who I am so what's your process like when you sit down to write of late I've been returning to notes because I'm doing research but Recently, just yesterday, I had this, not yesterday, last week, I'm in, I'm on a bus in Manhattan going along, Fifth, going down Fifth Avenue, and I just thought, it occurred to me, so much of the vibrancy of New York is owed to the constant stream of young people that come to the city. And then I do what I always do with writing, which is, what if? What if all of a sudden there was a law that banned anyone under 35 years of age to be in New York City? And so then a poem will generate from that possibility. But again, that's one of many approaches. <laughs> As you know, I also uh, write in form. Sometimes that will trigger, but often I'm interested in writing against and resisting the form because I love the tension that comes out of that. There's often some fruitful journey to be had when you <laughs> set off to resist. <laughs> <laughs> Writ large, allegorically speaking. I'm speaking about writing, but mm -hmm. allegorically speaking... Uh, there's, there's something to be had there. Fruitful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it all depends. It all depends. It could be an idea. It could be triggered by an exercise. And then I will write myself into the heat of something that I know is authentic and hasn't been uttered. Then I'll build a poem around that. Uh, recently, I traveled with my wife to Italy. It was my first trip to Rome, and we spent a week in Montepulciano. And I have been obsessed with recreating that experience and also processing it because I realized that um, 
so much of our inheritance comes from that space. But as an African-American who also believes in other people's contributions, particularly uh, Africans' contributions to the world, I think there's a wonderful um, dissonance that can happen in contemplating those uh, two vectors of of knowledge and understanding and myths. It's all there and it's fertile. And my task as a writer, having had that experience, is to not let this moment go by without filtering it through the lens of writing, through the lens of contemplation in language. And so that's what I'm really excited about lately. In fact, I may even read that poem instead of why I write poems. Please do. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. If you want to right now, go ahead. Sure. <coughs> so, there is, you probably know that there, the, you know, Italy is full of sites, mm -hmm. and I very much enjoyed walking up to the Pantheon, seeing the Roman Forum, uh, seeing the Colosseum. Uh, but it also, to me, uh, represented something else, which was this other history of kind of darker history of participation in, you know, slavery, uh, you know, who built, who built those monuments, you know. So, this is a poem, part of a series called um, Urban Renewal, which I began back in graduate school, and Urban Renewals have appeared in a number of, two, two of the three books that are written, and they'll make their appearance in the next book that I just turned into my editor, my publisher. Okay, this is Urban Renewal number 25. The blessed will not care what angle they are regarded from. W.H. Auden. Cobbled streets have the burnished look of stone skulls sinking like a necropolis of ungalinos from centuries of bewildered tours stumped in the eternal city, mulling over which way to turn. Every ruin begets a selfie, like a Hollywood set directed to life, then ditched with each phone's shutter click. Past the bronze facade of the Colosseum, ominous as a chipped gold tooth, other crowds follow, like apostles, the voice of a guide, yawning and carrying her flag aloft like a cross. Even here, I look for a history of myself. In the Musee Vaticani, I zoom close to frescoes, sculptures, altarpieces, in war with pilgrims for the best shot, studying the prose of a guidebook to explain Ezekiel's amphora, the slave boy delivering clothes to a nude Pollux, or why every Christ child craves the adoration of a black magi, shades frozen in a single hole. 
The crumbling stone beneath our feet speaks to us. Even Rome's dust possesses something of human grandeur, the elegance of decay. I envy the triumph that certain paintings give back my face, but Romanus Pontifex almost sealed my fate. Over diptychs I climb. From every gift shop, Papa waves to his blessed lambs. <laughs> yeah, I was happy to write that one. Yeah, I was happy to listen to it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so, well, it's interesting that you, I mean, obviously you speak very explicitly about race. I mean, that poem is a mm -hmm. contemplation of such things. Um, I wonder what it's like for you to be in Vermont. Um, that presumes that Vermont is significantly different than other places I've lived. Um, Vermont is home. I've been here now 13 years. Is that right? Yes, almost 13 years. Almost. <laughs> and I guess 12 years, actually. And it's almost, I would have lived here longer than any other place in about another, well, that's not true. I left Philadelphia at age 27. So we have another 15 <laughs> more years. So I'm, I'm romanticizing <laughs> um, and lying a bit. But... It feels like I've lived here all my life, um, or a significant chunk, and I guess 12 years is. So it's home, and although I long to find a black barber who <laughs> stays here, I have to drive to Montreal, or whenever I make my trips to New York, I'll see my barber down there. But it's not foreign to me. It's not foreign. I think the divide between urban spaces and rural spaces or kingdoms and <laughs> uh, cities and northeast and greater Philadelphia's great, you know, tri-state areas. We inhabit the places that we live and those places inhabit us and so there's something gorgeous about um, human beings and their ability to adapt to their surroundings now I did have a conversation with a friend who is not so satisfied in arriving in Burlington Vermont and we had a wonderful row about this topic and very simply put he said Major you travel and he's right I travel, and part of the pleasure of traveling is coming home to Vermont. I have friends all over, and I've traveled quite a bit. Will I remain here? That remains to be seen. But I do not regret the decision of being here. I fell in love with Vermont long ago. Actually, my first encounter with northern New England was at the McDowell Artist Colony in 
um, New Hampshire, in Peterborough, New Hampshire, and having climbed the Mount, Mount Manatnack, and uh, so I guess you would consider that southern New England, but I consider Connecticut southern New yeah. England, you know. So, but for me, that that sense of space harkened back to my years in Nashville, Tennessee, in the summer with, with my uh, grandparents and great aunts. Uh, Philadelphia. I mean, Phil, from the trip every summer was from Philadelphia down through Virginia, through the Appalachians, into eastern Tennessee and over to Nashville, and then back up through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Kentucky. There's a relationship my people have to environments like this. I did graduate school in University of Oregon, which is even grander in terms of scale the beauty we find here in the Northeast, in, in Vermont. So it's not, my, my feelings about Vermont are one of fondness and fortune. And uh, it's the place where I have been productive as an artist. I'm happy to hear that as a and we're going to uh, uh, end that right there and thank Ben for a really great job. Ben Parsons, who's uh, been interning with me on the program here, who's from North Ferrisburg. And uh, he's studying English and anthropology at the University of Vermont. And uh, he's been working with me now for a couple months. So we'll be sending him out for, we'll send him out on another couple of assignments here before we, um, before we uh, uh, let him uh, graduate. Uh, we'd love to hear from you this morning. Take your calls at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. You can also reach us toll-free at 877-291-8255. A moment of your time for our friends uh, right down the road in Southbury at Jet Service Envelope, the outstanding local printer who can make any and all printing projects happen for you. Just about anything that's going to require ink and paper they can make it happen, and you can call for pricing information at 229-9335. That's 229-9335. They're on the web, jetservice-envelope.com. Recently combining their services with Accurate Printing, making them bigger, better, and bolder than ever. So give them a call. You could uh, be doing those projects in-house yourself, or you could be finding a better way to use your time. And, you know, we all know time is valuable, so have uh, your highest and best use might be something else in the office. So let the folks at Jet Service Envelope make the projects happen for you. All you have to do, you can just do them on your computer, send them over to them electronically, and uh, you can make that all happen. And then give them a call, let them know it's on the way. 229-9335 and on the web at jetservice-envelope.com. Boy, I was fascinated that line Major Jackson had talking about... Uh, parents in your upbringing, you know, I have to tell you, I'm one of these gifted, blessed people. I, you know, have uh, fabulous parents. But I love this line he had here about forgiving your parents and understanding their journey. And, uh, you know, what I heard him saying in that, too, is that, you know, I think there are people out there that assign the challenges and difficulties that they have today to their upbringing. And, uh, you know, Andrew Solomon, who we had on the program yesterday, also speaks about this uh, quite eloquently and talks about uh, how really adversity as a child growing up can really define who you are and 
and can in some ways be can some ways be a positive though at the time it's almost impossible to see we didn't really get into this with him yesterday but if you're interested in his discussion about uh what i was just mentioning adversity and resilience he has this ted talk which is really quite profound which talks about his upbringing um, as a kid who, you know, pretty early on was questioning his sexual orientation or uh, yeah, his sexual orientation um, or who he was attracted to. Let me put it through that, that, that way. Uh, and he talks about this one example as a really young kid where every single boy in the class was invited to a birthday party except for him. His mother goes and says to the kid's mother, well, you must have forgotten my son. And she says, no, uh, my son doesn't want to hang out with your son. And it was just, you know, this incredibly painful thing. I think it was like second or third grade. I mean, you know, you hear stories like that. It just breaks your heart. Uh, Andrew was also just, he was ridiculed the, uh, for 45 minutes each way on the bus on an almost daily basis with people teasing him and calling him Percy. Um, for uh, because of his uh, because of his attraction to uh, other boys, you know, and you hear about that kind of isolation and marginalization that was done to this kid. But you know, as he points out, look at where he is today. These were defining moments. These were defining periods in his life, which allowed him to create his own identity and have allowed him to be the incredibly eloquent uh, writer and lecturer that he is today so you know i guess out of uh out of adversity and out of bad news uh strength of character can come all right uh that's gonna wrap things up for hour number one sorry i didn't mean to get so heavy there on you uh hour number two i want to share with you this piece by tom friedman talk about heavy boy he loads it on uh piles it on very heavy really criticizing Washington for just basic dysfunction that the, quote, adults are not uh, doing what they should be doing. So we'll talk about that in hour number two. Bob Nay joins us from Talk Radio News Service. Keep your dial right here. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush, 96.5 in Barry and Montpelier, 101.9 in the Kingdom, and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier. News is coming your way next. Radio.